Many years ago, when the planet Krypton, home of a race of supermen, exploded in space, the sole survivor was an infant boy who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's now playing Superman Movie Retrospective Series. Man, this is going to be good. Hosted by Stuart. Without me, you'd still be reading tea leaves at Lake Tahoe. Arnie. I was put on this earth to thrill millions. And Jacob. Why are you doing this? It's just the way we are. And these three new arrivals bring destruction in their way. These people have such powers, nothing can stop them. Now that you know, I think you should know it all. Tell me everything, starting with crystals. Can you read my mind? If so, you already know this podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Holy skunk sweat! Listener discretion is advised. Bring it on! There are questions to be asked. And it is time for you to do so. Here in this, this fortress of solitude, we shall try to find the answers together. Today we're discussing Supergirl, starring Faye Dunaway, Helen Slater, Peter O'Toole, Mia Farrow, huge A-list cast, and directed by Jano Swark. We've known his work before. Yep, Jaws 2. Zip Zap, I'm Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and I may live in Midvale, Illinois, but I am not Superman's cousin. Stuart in LA. And this is Jacob, your host of Steel. Guys, I have to tell you. We have some listeners who come to me and go, how the hell am I supposed to find this movie you're reviewing? This year alone, we had it with The Detective somewhat. We had it with Generation X. Some of the stuff is on YouTube. Some of the stuff you have to be a Netflix member or you have to go buy. Whew. Being the multimedia comic book fan for Supergirl was the single hardest now playing research I've ever had to do. Did you know there's three cuts of this damn movie? That scares me. Four if you count television. Wow. Are they actually longer than this one? The theatrical cut? Well, the true theatrical cut was 105 minutes. I don't think anyone but me saw that. And I had to go and buy it on Amazon on VHS. Wow. I didn't even know if I had a VCR. I found one in my basement and hooked it up. You could have probably bought one for the same price as Supergirl. Probably less, actually. But that's the movie that was released in theaters. We'll talk about it, but Warner Brothers would not release this. TriStar took it and cut 20 minutes out of it. The version I think you saw is actually the international version, the international theatrical release, the one that they stand behind primarily as their vision at two hours and five minutes. So I could have seen a shorter version of this if I would have ponied up four bucks on Amazon for the VHS. Yes. Because that would have been totally worth it. (laughs) 
I think this is what Netflix billed as the special edition. I got what came from Netflix, and it was called Supergirl Special Edition. I guess that's this international cut? Well, the special edition is just the name of the DVD release that Anchor Bay put out, and yes, it was the international cut. The regular cut has never been released in DVD. I couldn't even find it going to bootleg booths at cons. I couldn't find it anywhere on the internet. It's not on YouTube. Everybody just has this international cut, so I had a 1984 VHS recorded in EP, for those of you who know what that means. You can guess my viewing experience in my home theater was less than hi-fi. So how many minutes difference are we talking about? There's 20 minutes difference between what was released in the U.S. in theaters and VHS... The international version you guys saw is 20 minutes longer. Okay. But then, oh, we're not done, folks. There's also a limited edition DVD. Only 50,000 of these were printed. And it has not only the international version, but the director's cut. And they sold 50,000 of these? There's 50,000 people willing to buy it? And I was one of them. Yeah, clearly, there's a lot of people. I think you put a super on anything and slap a cape around it. I live in Illinois. There's a Metropolis, Illinois. Every year there's a Superman festival. People come for that, and all of them would own this movie. Helen Slater has been there as a signing guest. This limited edition DVD goes for $90 on Amazon used. Would you believe I got it for 15 at the Goodwill? I'm so glad you did. I was really <laughs> hoping you deserve that. I am so glad that you found <laughs> What out. happened with Silent Night, Deadly Night? Yes. Yeah. Why was it $15 at the Goodwill, though? That's a <laughs> lot for the Goodwill. I almost wish that I didn't have to. Not just for the $15, but because not only does it have the 125-minute cut, but a never-before-seen 138-minute cut. The director's cut adds 15 more minutes to what you saw. Okay. I can't wait to find out where all this extra footage fits in. So I have watched Supergirl three times. I've gone to the Goodwill and to a VCR, and I still don't know what the hell we're going to talk about. Oh, I got things to say, but I don't understand them. You know, Supergirl is one that I really knew very little about when it happened. I don't remember this movie coming out in theaters. I think I remember hearing about it, and then I think I remember years later being in a video store and seeing it, picking it up and going, I wonder if it's as good as Superman 2, and deciding it wasn't, and never looking back. This was a huge bomb. I mean, I don't know why there are so many different versions of this. Maybe someone is trying to make a point that one of them was the one that should have been released and been the success. But this movie was never loved. As far as I know, it has always been the dog of the franchise. Yeah, it wasn't even loved by young me in 1984 that was a huge Superman fan at the time. I remember I saw this in theaters, and I watched it once after it came out for rental on home video. And I remember a distinct feeling of not liking it, not understanding what the hell was going on in this Super Someone movie. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't see this in theaters. I saw Superman 3 in theaters. This came out at a time when I really should have wanted to see it in theaters. My only memory of watching this was on television, an even shorter cut, and not quite getting it. And that was still in the 80s. I haven't revisited this film since. I was looking forward to coming back. After Superman 3, my memory was some interesting things happen here. We get to see the inside of the Phantom Zone. Peter O'Toole's in it. Coming in, I felt there was no way this could be as bad as people made it out to be. 
I was wrong. All I recall from this film is that there's a witch that Supergirl fights. And with that lone memory, I'm like, how the hell is this movie going to make any sense? She fights a witch. As for the cuts, like I said, what happened was Warner Brothers went to make this. They were going to put Supergirl in Superman 3 in one of the plots. Remember the love triangle with Brainiac. When that didn't happen, and with Christopher Reeve starting to bristle at being Superman, they decided it was a good time to launch a new super franchise. So the Salkins got together and decided to redo the formula, right? The lead star is a complete unknown in her first feature film role, second build to a classic film star, Faye Dunaway, who's going to be your title star and bring him in. I mean, we've got Faye Dunaway as the Gene Hackman, then Peter O'Toole is clearly your Marlon Brando. You got Lawrence of Arabia in a Superman film. You throw in Mia Farrow, I don't know why, (laughs) and you're trying to recreate that success and build yourself the franchise that can go the next five years for you. But after Superman 3, Christopher Reeve pulled out from doing a cameo that was intended to be in this film, and Warner Brothers was like, we're not going to release this. This film had no U.S. distribution, even from the movie company that owned the comic company that would have benefited from this film's release. Yeah, always hated, and it's gone that way for the female superhero franchise. We're not new to this. I had no optimism for this, because I can't name a feature film that had a female superhero that wasn't a campy, ridiculous property. Tank Girl came the closest to being enjoyable, at least, but it barely took itself seriously. And Catwoman, Elektra, come on. Female superheroes have worked well in teams. I think we saw Hit Girl and Black Widow, and we've seen it with a few of the women in the X-Men. Maybe in pairs, they get them right. They can be a part of it, but they just have not figured out how to do this. I mean, they never created that She-Hulk spinoff. They've never once gotten Wonder Woman up on the big screen. It seems incredible to me, except when you realize that Hollywood just does not have this gift. They just have not been able to find how this works, which is strange to me, because there have been so many successes successful female action stars and projects, but not superhero projects. Maybe this one will beat the curse. Maybe as we go into this, we'll find something different. You guys are saying no, but I think you should let people know what they're in for, Arnie. Give them that plot. In Argo City, located not in outer space, but in inner space, a group of refugee Kryptonians live in a utopian society. But when artist Zaltar borrows the Omega Hedron, one of the city's power sources, and gives it to Superman's cousin Kara to play with, she loses it as it's sucked into the vacuum of inner space. Without the Omega Hedron, the entire city will die. So Kara takes Zaltar's ship, which he built to travel to Earth. Meanwhile, for his punishment, Zaltar is sent to the Phantom Zone. The Omega Hedron was found on Earth by wannabe witch Selina, who plans to use it both to take over the world and make local gardener Ethan her boy toy. She, her ex-boyfriend warlock Nigel, and her friend Bianca try to use it, but they're consistently stymied by Supergirl. And Supergirl by night looks for the Omega Hedron, but by day she pretends to be Linda Lee, a student at a Midvale, Illinois school. There she roams with Lucy Lane, Lois Lane's sister, who happens to be dating Daily Planet photographer Jimmy Olsen. Did I mention Supergirl is Superman's cousin? 
Selena banishes Supergirl to the Phantom Zone, where she reconnects with Zoltar, who helps her find a way to escape the zone, though Zoltar dies during the trip. Back on Earth, Supergirl battles and defeats Selena, recovering the Omega Hedron, and returns to Argo City as credits roll. You didn't mention the dragon, Arnie! I guess we'll get there. Yeah, there's a lot of tangents, I guess I'll call them. It would be hard to corral them all succinctly, and probably in some of the cuts you watched, they weren't even there. But I can't imagine they got rid of the dragon. He was the best part. No, the dragon was in all of them. The lead box that becomes sentient at the end of the movie. We'll talk about it, but I knew we'd talk about it, so I didn't need to put it in a plot summary. (laughs) But I have to ask, this movie starts on Argo City. Jacob, immediately I have questions, and none of the cuts answer it. Krypton blew up. Correct. Kalel was sent away. He is Krypton's last son. Who the hell are these people, and how did they get out? Well, in the comics, they heeded to Jor-El's warnings that Krypton was going to be destroyed, and they built some kind of force field around Argo City. So when the planet blew up, this big chunk of land with Argo City and a force field was kind of projected out into space. And they lived for a while longer until all the radiated kryptonite barraged their little chunk of planet there. So this whole inner space thing, I don't know. Is this the inspiration for inner space in 1987 with Dennis Quaid and Martin Short. I don't understand why they live under a lake or inside of a lake. I don't know. None of it's explained in the film and they kind of just made up this whole inner space thing. I didn't even take that they were from Krypton. I mean, I have cousins. I don't live nowhere near them and I will never be going to visit them. I just take it to mean that they're very distantly related, like maybe third cousins or something. But maybe they just didn't want to remind us that everyone died that was on Krypton and they're trying to just skip over that unhappy fact and concentrate on the positive, like art communes and hippie frocks and (laughs) Peter O'Toole. Yeah, in the longest cut, it actually is mentioned that Peter O'Toole saved them all from Krypton by discovering inner space in Argo City. Oh, okay. Maybe this is where Brando went after uh, Superman 1. (laughs) I still don't get what inner space is, though. Like, okay, he saved them by going into inner space, huh? Well, in the original script, they decided this wasn't technically feasible. To go into inner space? That Argo City would exist in a drop of water on the leaf of a plant in Midvale, Illinois. It's like Men in Black with the galaxy. Holy hell. But they couldn't do that, so they just decided to be more vague. They also had, in the original script, the movie was going to start with them escaping Krypton and having it be destroyed again and showing how they all got to Argo City, something I would have liked to have known, but they decided it was too much like the opening to the first film. Well, God forbid you want to resemble the first film. You know, the big hit that made a lot of money. But you know what? This movie doesn't look bad. I want to just put this out right now. I don't know if the same people were involved. Obviously, Richard Donner is nowhere to be seen, and none of this cast is repeat performer. Hey, Mark McClure is offended by your statement. Yeah, Jimmy Olsen is the one consistency. Yes, yes. We'll talk about him. I'm reserving that for later. But I feel like the budget on this wasn't half bad. That the architecture, this coral-inspired world, I'm going with it. I don't think it looks any worse than Superman 3 did, or even some of the weaker moments of Superman 2. 
If you're talking specifically about Argo City, I'll agree with you. I think overall this film has much worse production values than Superman 2 and Superman 1, and I'd still say slightly worse than 3. This is the only film franchise we've ever done where it seems like the effects get worse movie to movie. Yeah, I know what happened. They lose money. They didn't have the budget to do it. But I disagree. Some of the flying rigs are better. I mean, when we actually see Supergirl later, she can do flips and spins and things that Christopher Reeve never could pull off. Yes, but she does them in front of a front projection screen. In the longer cut, she flies over a drive-in. It looks like she's flying in front of the screen at a drive-in. It's like she's flying over Nat Geo on a big screen TV. I feel like there's moments where you could tell where they put all the money for the effects. You know, Argo City yeah. looks pretty good. The opening scene where Supergirl first realizes she could fly and she's doing the flips. It feels like a gymnast. I love the rig work there. And then it goes downhill when she's flying over running horses. I agree. The wire work isn't bad. It's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Supergirl. But the flying, the rear projection, a lot of these effects, especially when we get to the end battle, the effects in this movie are piss poor for the time, let alone for now. But yes, they do have some that work well. Argo City is well architected. It looks nothing like Krypton, intentionally so, and it is like this hippie commune of Kryptonians, but it does look good. I like the architecture, and they've filled it up with extras it doesn't feel as empty and my favorite piece of continuity is that kryptonians are like totally obsessed with earth trees they bust out the same rhyme that we got in superman 2 they're talking about trees kryptonians i guess you come from a planet of ice trees seem pretty cool yeah, it's really exotic here, and it's setting up the conflict that Zaltar is the god here. He's the main guy. He built whatever they have. Wherever this exists, whatever inner space is, he is the architect of their little bubble here. And it is a very precarious little bubble with the membrane that's easily punctured by dragonflies. If you are in inner space, and if you have an opening, you get sucked into vacuum. Why are all your windows made of cellophane? They were never going to make it. You can blame Kara all you want. Maybe she shouldn't have had the wand. But if this was their protective layer, they were never going to last. No, I'm, I'm not blaming Kara. I'm blaming Zaltar, who gave the teenage girl a magic wand that can make anything out of air. This is one of those few things. I said I remember there being a witch in this film. I do remember this butterfly insect creature flying around that was made with a wand. This is just weird stuff. I guess you could write them off as space hippies, but this is just, why does he have a wand that just makes stuff? Little girl, play with it. It's not just a wand, Jacob. It's a wand and balls. It is clearly, directly phallic symbols here. The power in this movie, they can call it Supergirl all they want. If you want any power, you're waving a big stick and you have some brass balls. Literally. <laughs> and furthermore, when the girl explores her sexuality, when she plays with this wand and ball... Between her legs. Yeah, I don't think this is unintentional. I do feel like they're literally telling a story about girl coming into power by using phallic symbols here. And that, oops, you accidentally burst a hole into our protective layer, the power source is sucked out, we're all fated to die. What inspires her... To get into this, whatever it is, this shoot, and go sailing away. Well, I think what inspires her for all of this is, honestly, I have to ask, is she a mentally challenged Argonian? I'm glad you're not the only one that got that impression. 
fine, you know what, whatever, you're going to go with the Barbie thing. Six-dimensional math is hard. But you got five-year-olds in there doing six-dimensional math. She walks through a classroom of little children smarter than she is. Even Zaltar's like, oh, don't care, don't worry about math, just use your imagination. That's what you tell a special person. You don't need to know anything, just think of stuff. Think of neat, pretty things. And when she sits on the ground and plays with the ball, she spreads her legs far wide in a way that no woman of 19 should do. It is very unladylike the way she sits. It's the way a four-year-old would sit, but she is not four. This is not Kal-El coming to Earth as a little boy and then we flash forward 18 years. This is a grown young woman. Helen Slater was 19 when they started filming and she's acting like a four-year-old and she's just like, what's a tree? Where's Earth? Oh, my cousin lives there. And and I'm just really wondering, is she the stupidest of all Argonians? Why does she get in that ship? I honestly don't know if she gets in that ship because she's thinking, I lost the Omega Hedron. I need to make it right. Or if she's getting in that ship like, ooh, shiny. <laughs> yeah, I actually think it's more like, wee. It should be pointed out, boys. This is not called Superwoman. This is Supergirl. And this is something new here. Normally, even when they do superheroes with female characters, they are a tough, aggressive, macho, physical beings. This is a girly movie. This is a I like horses kind of chick coming to Earth. She spends more time looking at the horses than she does looking for the magic ball that's going to keep her mom alive. This is a girly fantasy adventure and not macho at all. I think that's what makes Supergirl very distinct. Not Superwoman, Supergirl. Emphasis girl. But girls aren't retarded. Like, that's how they make her. This actress should be three years old for the way she's portrayed at the beginning here. I always took it, though, she gets in that to go save the ball. I do love Zoltar's response to this. I've doomed the entire city. I'm going <laughs> to ex exile myself to the Phantom Zone. You guys are going to die, but I'll be in the Phantom Zone. Yeah, it is kind of funny. It always seems to happen that way. Same thing with Zod. It was just like, we are going to punish you by making you the sole survivors of this planet and sending you away. Yeah, this guy deserves more than anyone else here to suffer the puncture wound, but they send him away to live in the Phantom Zone like Zod, and we never see Mio Firo and these people again. That's what's crazy. We never know how it turns out. We know Supergirl will eventually get back with the magic ball, but I don't know if she's going to find a room full of dead people or What's going to happen here? <laughs> this just gets dropped. And honestly, she makes it pretty clear early on, she'd rather be on Earth anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of problems going on here with Argo City. I'm really happy that they don't spend a lot of time in Argo City at all. Even in this real cut, the 125-minute cut that Warner Brothers and the Salkins wanted you to see, it is only 10 minutes in this hippie commune before Kara drops the acid and sees the laser light show. Yeah, very lava lamp effects here as she's going into Earth. It's just very trippy. It's not 80s appeal at all. It feels something like you'd see in the late 60s, the 70s here. This movie feels out of time. It's weird to think of it coming after Superman 3 with that whole notion of computers and Richard Pryor that was so contemporary for 1983. This movie feels like a throwback. It feels like they are trying to recreate that 70s first Superman movie vibe. And maybe that's not a bad way to go. I mean, that movie has 
had more charm than Superman 3. Even the score, John Williams isn't returning for this. This score is bad. It tries to kind of mimic the Superman score. She's floating through inner space to outer space, but oh man, it is awful. You are not going to insult Jerry Goldsmith on my watch. No siree. Jerry Goldsmith is awesome, and I think his score is pretty good. No, it's not John Williams, but it's not a bad facsimile here. It's close enough to feel of peace, but it's its own theme. Don't ask me to hum it. I don't remember. But I remember thinking that the music wasn't half bad. Better than the score in Superman 3, which did not have Williams either. Having watched this movie every day for the past three days. Ba 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 Yeah, I've heard it. And I'll side with both of you. I actually like the main title theme. It doesn't stand up there with William's best stuff, but it stands up there with the Lex Luthor theme and that kind of subpar Williams music that they used in the first one. Williams hasn't been here since the first film. He didn't even come back for the second. They repurposed his score, but he did not create the additional music. That's true. Right. So for a new new hero theme, I think what Goldsmith did here is fine. I also think there's moments in this film where the music is god-awful and barely even serviceable. But as far as the hero theme goes, I feel like I'm having post-traumatic flashback to it, but I'll say it's not bad. So if we're to understand this as a story of Kara going to save her people and not Kara going to have a better time with some people that are less stuffy, then I guess she goes about it in a curious way. She's trying to find the Omegahedron. It could be anywhere in the universe, right? Anywhere. They imply something, and it took me my third viewing to get this. (laughs) Well, tell me, because I will never have a third viewing. (laughs) I didn't realize that she never comes to Earth. She's always been on Earth. When she arrives, she doesn't crash down. The ship is mysteriously gone. Her clothes are mysteriously gone, replaced with a Supergirl outfit. But when she arrives, she comes up from the water, not down from the sky. Right. I didn't understand that it was under the sea until the end, but that is how she enters. They do tell us in the beginning, I just wasn't paying careful enough attention. Yeah, I kept wondering why she was jumping in the water at the end to go to Argo City. It was on the third viewing. I'm like, we never see that ship crash. I just always thought the ship crashed in the water. The Omega Hedron lands near the water. And Zaltar does, with his magic wand, give her this bracelet, which all of a sudden starts tracking the Omega Hedron for some reason. It starts to flash. That was never explained. I thought he just gave her a pretty bracelet, but yeah, I thought she was kind of using that to track where to go. I don't know if that spaceship had any controls. Maybe he low-jacked her in case she got lost again. Can't find her way home. If she does have a tracking device, then why is she going down dark alleys in Chicago asking root beer fans what they know? about the planet. This is a crazy dark way to begin, having seen her have an extended flying sequence with horses and flowers and flips and all of that. The first people she's going to encounter are Max Hedrum and a guy with a switchblade. Oh my Jesus. Trying to rape her. Yeah, dark. Dark, 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 dark. Too dark. See, I want to just put this out there right now. I like the girliness of this. I think it's fun to go in a different direction. Just be different. You're not going to emulate what Christopher Reeve did. Be silly. Be fun. But this ain't fun. This is 
dark. I can't believe that this is how they'd want to kick off the adventure. Stuart, I agree with you. One of the neat things about Supergirl, what kind of makes her different than Superman that I always kind of liked, was that she comes to Earth already a grown-up. Superman, he's raised by his adopted parents, and you know he's raised a human, pretty much. Is she a grown-up? You guys keep calling her that, but I presume, and I guess it's the performance we're giving, but I presume she was about 15 years old. Well, yeah, I think that's what she's supposed to be playing. In the comics, she comes to Earth as a teenager, and that's one of the cool things that makes her different than Superman, is she's already a teenager. You know how teenagers are. They throw tantrums, they think they know everything, and now you have the super-powered one. They throw your Omega Hedron out the window. Exactly. You could do something cool here, because this is a different character. She has a different journey than Superman has. He has more of the traditional hero's journey. Hers, it's about you're now on this planet with all these powers, and you're a grown-up. You don't have parents to raise you and teach you how to be responsible. So I agree with you. Different character, they could do something cool here. Have her look at horses and be fascinated by those as a teenager seeing them for the first time. But getting raped by truckers. That's not where you go with this film. No, and you would never expect that out of Christopher Reeve. He would never land down in a bathhouse and get groped. The fact that we have to deal with the first thing that's going to happen to a Supergirl is she's going to be objectified and assaulted and have to physically beat people off of her. Just wrong choice. I guess I feel like I'm much more in tune with this movie when it wants to be a G-rated silly thing than when it wants to have the action that's like the Christopher Reeve era. I just think, don't go there. You've just creeped me out even more because I got that Max Hedrum was a rapist, but if you tell me she's 15, he's now also a pedophile. It's wrong in lots of ways, but maybe it's what women have to deal with in the 80s. Maybe it's the right lesson to teach girls. You're never too young to be cautious about what grown men are going to do to you, but it's dark. I don't like it. I hate that this is the start. But my suspicion is that she has no real plans on finding this ball. Like, this is all a pretense. Yeah, I got the bracelet. I'll get there eventually. Mom, you may die, but whatever. She's here to see the sight. She's on holiday here. She's flying around, taking mental snapshots. Argonian Rusbringa. <laughs> It is. It really does feel like that. Why else would she create an alternate identity and enlist in a school? The school has nothing to do with her ball. I really want to know why she goes to the school. I do not get this at all. She sees some girls playing ball. Is this a new superpower along with the cellophane S, the ability to morph her super outfit into a school uniform? We did see that in the Superman films. I don't know if we ever discussed it. Superman 1, he jumps out a window and he's magically in a suit all of a sudden. This is in those better films where he just changes clothes. They just morph into the Superman outfit. Well, I always took that as his clothes were going away. But here, she walks behind four trees and every time her uniform changes a little bit more to like a school uniform. That little short mini skirt becomes an ankle length skirt, but it changes color first. It's a step by step progression. It's a very feminized power. If a woman's going to be super powerful, she's going to be able to change the way she looks and her outfit and the whole notion that putting on a different dress and she's a different being. It's just a very kind of sexist notion about what it is to be woman. But then again, I say sexist, but at the same time, it's called Supergirl. It is supposed to be about all of these very generic, culturally understood differences between men and women. Yeah, they're just doing a girly adventure. This is Sweet Valley High. This is not Christopher Reeve. I just keep having to tell myself that. 
Is there actually a Midville in Illinois, Arnie? No, it is somewhere with Smallville and Metropolis. Yes, it's Midvale, so it's between Smallville and Metropolis. It's the middle side of town. <laughs> yeah, strangely, she does look at a map, and I was paying very close attention, and this would be about an hour north of me, and I'm very offended that Zwark and the Salkins think that an hour north of me, there's nothing but a single Popeye's chicken and a bunch of trucks carrying bales of hay. Popeye's chicken is where it is at are you kidding me this is like the focal point of this whole place what would they be without the Popeye's chicken and the A&W root beer? I got to say, product placement is high in this one. The movie didn't make a dime, but I'm sure somebody paid a lot of money to have all those A&W root beer <laughs> soda machines and t-shirts. On the rapist. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. I wouldn't think you'd want your product represented that way. So when we do see her flying around, is that the Chicago skyline? It is indeed. I noticed the Sears Tower and the very iconic diamond-shaped sloped building that Adventures in Babysitting the Little Girl fell off of? Yeah, I just kept getting confused because she'd go from the city to the country to what looked like not even Illinois at times. That green screen effect, they were just flashing anything up there. We have no mountains. I'll tell you that right now. We have no hills, let alone mountains. Well, presumably she could have flown from coast to coast, if indeed she is in America. She could have gone anywhere that she wanted to very fast. She can fly. She does have that superpower down. But I think that this is all a pretense about I'm looking for the ball or whatever. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. Meanwhile, she's really getting indoctrinated with this girl culture at the school. Now, question for you guys. High school? College. To me, it looked like a girls prep school. It looked like ninth through 12th grade. This looks like underage girls. Yeah, I took it as a high school. I think they called it Midvale High, which seemed like a weird name for a private school. They're obviously a private school. It's all girls. They have uniforms. Yeah, I think it has to be a high school. Even though she's 19, we've seen this before. It's the 90210 effect. She's playing a teenager and she enrolls in a high school for reasons that make no sense. I cannot even again, the longest cut, come up with a reason why she does this. I don't know how she knows her cousin is Clark Kent so she can forge his name on a letter. I do love that they write Superman off in this movie. He's not on the planet. You hear it on the radio, a trillion light years away. Yeah, on a peacekeeping mission. That should have been Superman 3 if we were at risk of going to war with aliens. Man, that would have been a whole lot better than prior in a computer. Hey, here we get some strange interludes, though, because now there's a bully at the high school, and Lucy Lane plays softball and field hockey and is pissing off this bully. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't get it because they're wearing the same color jersey. Yet the bully is like, hates Lucy Lane so much she's willing to lose the game for her team by throwing balls at her. They're not rival schools. These are kids that are told to put on different colored shirts. And the ones in the red decide they really hate the ones in the green. Like, super bad. Thank God that Supergirl has come down to protect Lucy Lane from the violence that would have happened in the shower and what have you. Okay, come on. You guys are playing dumb, but you know what's going on. This is a fantasy about what it is to be in a girl's locker room, right? This is a male screenwriter. It is worth pointing out that we are not being given this vision by females trying to tell us what they want to see in a Supergirl. This is men. This is the director of Somewhere in Time, a romantic film, and the writer of Masters of the Universe concocting what it would be like to be at the girl's school. 
Oh, yeah, I do feel like, you know, at the beginning, she's playing with the shaft and balls. Now we're getting into the lesbian fantasy, the schoolgirl locker room fantasy. It's Supergirl, a girl's journey, a movie for girls, but written from a very male point of view. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about lesbianism, but there's a scene where the principal walks down the hall and we see all the girls in their bras who are just hanging out, all of a sudden having to run and hide. I think there's titillation here. I think that they definitely like playing and goosing that. And you know what? You guys are going to hate me for this, but I actually think this is the right way to play it. I think that this stuff is kind of fun. I wish the movie had a better explanation for putting her in the school than this lame, all the magic balls here somewhere. Maybe she thinks the softball is the Omegahedron, but I like that she does have this alternate identity. And I think Helen Shaver is good at playing this alternate identity. I think she's at her best when she's out of that silly spandex and here in the prep school attire, trying to make friends, trying to blend in. It's a fish out of water story at this point. It's like so many aliens that come to Earth in the 80s. They just want to belong. I can agree with you that this is where Helen Slater acts the best. I will say I love Helen Slater. Not as an actress, just as a human being. I have loved her since the 80s and I saw her in The Legend of Billie Jean and I have followed her career through Ruthless People, Secret of My Success. How about Happy Together where she romances Patrick Dempsey. I jumped off the bandwagon at City Slickers but throughout the 80s (laughs) Helen Slater was my Hollywood crush. But having seen all of this 80s Helen Slater stuff, the woman cannot act. She cannot act. I'm sorry. Maybe she learned to in the 90s. I haven't seen her since then, except for a couple episodes of Smallville. But she cannot act. When she's playing bashful, quiet Linda Lee, her name on Earth. I do like that they keep up the LLs. (laughs) There is. Even the headmaster can't keep straight Lucy Lane and Linda Lee. But I do think she's better as the brunette, mousy girl than she is a supergirl. But she just, every movie, Secret of My Success, I love her in it. She's horrible in it. Yeah, what she has is movie star presence. I agree with you. Not a great performance here. I don't know that I know any of the other movies. I suspect you're right on this point. I wouldn't give her any checkoff to do on Broadway. But I think for a movie where she's largely asked to look pretty and be nubile and look at the world through wide eyes and go, Oh, I think she's fun to watch here in that role. I like her as Supergirl. I think she's a strength. I think that this works. Yeah, I actually didn't dislike her as much as I thought I would. Just going in from my memories and the reputation of the film, I think she may be the strongest point for this film. I agree. It's the right tone. Just the execution's awful. It's in the writing. It's like, la-di-da, we don't actually have to play by any rules of logic. We'll just make things happen. It's that way because I say it is. He's my cousin because I say he is. I wasn't even so sure that was true, Arnie. I mean, all we know is that Lucy Lane has a picture of Superman on her dorm room wall with all the other hunks she's crashing on, and Linda Lee, aka Supergirl, goes, oh, he's dreamy, he's my cousin. Jesus Christ, did you not watch this movie? Every five minutes, she calls Superman her cousin. When she's on Argo, she goes, is that where my cousin lives? Dude, she hella gropes that dude's pecs on that poster. Like, these were kissing cousins. Krypton, Kentucky, they both start with K. But no, she keeps saying this cousin thing. If the movie tells me it, it's the case, okay? I'm not going to sit here and say she's psychotic and creating familial relations. Hey, they have the same family crest, the big S. 
Yeah, she came in the same way. Well, sort of the same way. He came from the air and she came from the water, but they came in looking the same way. Why not? I guess what I'm getting at is Christopher Reeve is not in this movie. There is no evidence that he knows her name. She knows him, but I'm not so sure it goes the other way. Why isn't Christopher Reeve in this movie? He was supposed to be. He was supposed to have a cameo when she came out of the water. He was going to show her her powers and then show up. Not at the climax, but at one of the battles in between as well. All that I can find is early on, Christopher Reeve opted out of doing the cameos, and so they had to rewrite. Well, he's already pissed about Superman 3. I can't imagine if he even read the script that it would have won him back. I mean, he was done with Superman, right? He wasn't ever going to do another one. I don't know if that's the case when this was filming after Superman 3. That was his goal, yes, was to move on from Superman. And that was everyone's goal. That was the Warner goal. Nobody wanted this. (laughs) And yeah, I imagine some of it came with reading the script and the Salkins possibly not wanting to back up the money truck as well. I mean, they cut Brando out of two. Brando! If they thought they could do Superman without Brando, which of course they did, and successfully, but it's a bad impulse, then why would you think you should pay Christopher Reeve for your Supergirl movie when you have Mia Farrow and Peter O'Toole? Yeah, I guess. And Jimmy Olsen. I'm more cool with her crushing on her cousin than I am with Jimmy Olsen. Coming back to Midvale, maybe he graduated from the girls' prep school. (laughs) I don't know. But finding some reason to hang around with Lois's kid underage sister. Man, I never had much feeling about Jimmy either way (laughs) until this moment. And now he's really looking like that pervy guy with the camera that's going to get in trouble one day. This is actually one of the big subplots expanded on in the 140-minute cut. Oh, do tell. I need for you to expand on this because it's a puzzler. Does Chris Hansen show up saying he needs to talk about a transcript? (laughs) No. What happens is that they talk about their backstory about how Lucy... And we haven't talked much about Lucy, but Lucy Lane is Lois's sister, and we'll talk about her a little more used to go to the Daily Planet to visit her sister, and she had a crush on older guy Jimmy. And now that she's old enough, she wants to take it to the next level, and they have their declaration of love. They are not dating when they go to Popeye's. He was invited there. They aren't dating yet. They don't start dating until they're in the big cages in Selena's castle later on. That is the moment that they have their declaration of true love. I can understand why she's crushing on him. I can't understand why a grown man with a full-time job in Metropolis wants to go after his co-worker's child sister. That either says something about how he feels about Lois or says something about how regressed he feels in that workplace. (laughs) But it is not a flattering character statement of a character that has been underdeveloped for three movies now and now is starting to just look lecherous. (laughs) Well... I don't know if it helps any, but when this movie was filmed, he would have been mm, around 25 and... Not helping so far. 10 years younger? (laughs) Lucy, played by Maureen Teefy, was actually older than him! Oh, okay. Well, I do know Maureen. She was Doris in Fame. She was sort of the star of Fame, if you ever saw that movie. Where That's a common thing. People playing teenagers in high school are always 24, 25, 30-year-olds just putting their hair in funky fashion. She's older as an actress, but not as a character. 
I've seen Fame. I primarily know her from Grease 2, where she dated Goose. I know a few songs from Grease 2, and that's more than I want to know. Maybe a different retrospective. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> when they reboot that, I can't wait to talk Cool Rider with you guys. But, yeah, that's where I know her from. She was immediately recognizable to me from Grease 2. And, yeah, I had seen Fame as well, but it's not my go-to film for her. But they're all way too old for high school, and it helps lessen the lechery. Because I just don't feel it, because these characters don't feel that young. But, yeah, I did wonder why Jimmy was hanging out at a high school. My own rationale is, at one point in the commentary for Superman 1, they said he was barely out of high school himself, so... Yeah, he's a kid. I get that, but there are laws. All I am going to say is there are laws. They are being broken. <laughs> but he's not the only one hanging around. Everyone wants to hang out at a prep school. We got a witch being driven around in a limousine by another witch at this prep school. And the warlock's a teacher at the school. <laughs> this film has so many coincidental connections, it kills me. And here's the crazy thing. That warlock that works at the school never figures out <laughs> Linda Lee and Supergirl are the same person. Like, isn't that why you have him working at the school? <laughs> I don't know why you have this subplot. Honestly, I don't know why you go witch. I guess that's what I'm going to say. I'm enjoying the prep school for what it is. A silly, fanciful, high school TV show, really, is what it is. This is the facts of life, only on the big screen with Blair having a superpower, right? I mean, that's what it is. You mean Smallville? Maybe. I never have seen that show, but it could very well be that. A teen soap opera with some supernatural elements I'm going with. I'm choking, but it's going down my throat. When you get into witches, and when you get to Faye Dunaway, an actress I used to admire, but who was in a horrible career spiral at this point, she was four years beyond Mommy Dearest, which really was the campiest, most god-awful, over-the-top performance you may ever see. Just not a good time for her, not a good part, not the right choice. Why, oh why, Faye, must you do Supergirl? Jacob, does Supergirl fight magical users a lot? No. Here's the thing, though, but it never plays into this plot. Superman's one weakness, besides Kryptonite, and I'm assuming Supergirl's as well, is magic. You could defeat the dude with a magic wand if you have one. I don't know why that exists in Superman continuity, but in, I think, the 90s, there was a DC-Marvel crossover where Superman fought Thor, and they actually had Superman win, and the writer's like, oh yeah, I totally forgot, he's vulnerable to magic. So there is room for some kind of magic storyline, and that's an actual weakness for these super people, but no, it's not common for them to fight witches and warlocks and... <laughs> Who are her bad guys? If you make a Supergirl movie, who's her Lex Luthor? Who's her Brainiac? Who's her Joker? I don't know who I would put Supergirl up against any more than I'd know who you put Catwoman up against. But I imagine it's not Selena, the singer, or this woman. Supergirl has a crazy comic book history. There have been a lot of Supergirls, and it, it got so bad that I think probably one of her better well-known villains is called The Matrix, which was like this composite of all these different versions of Supergirl put together. 
I guess because it is a classic archetype of female power when you think about super powerful women in history and folklore, witches are the go-to. So if there's someone on Earth that can take on Supergirl, I guess it's a witch. I'm trying to be okay with a witch. I'm really not. But why does the witch want everyone to fall in love with her? I think what I truly resent is that she's not pulling up demons from the ground and hexing people and making bad things happen. She's cast Casting love spells on lawn boys. All right, I'm just going to keep telling myself, this is Supergirl. This is a girly adventure. It's not to make sense. It is a fantasy, but it is driving me crazy. I have more respect for girls than that. I'm sorry. I do too, I gotta say. And the fact that she's hanging around this school, lusting after the garden boy, who we have seen earlier this year, and last year, this would be, if we still did them, golden headphones for Hart Bochner. Who? Ellis from Die Hard. Okay. Yeah, you know who he is. He's the creep that runs off his mouth. Yeah, yeah. No, I know it now that you say Ellis. I, I had no idea. And he was in Batman Phantasm. Who was he in that? Or does it even matter? You're talking about the animated thing. He did a voice? Yes. Okay, I don't care. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> no golden headphones for you. I'm going to wave my wand on that one. Make him flip upside down and turn colors or whatever. This is always a thankless role. If a superheroine movie is kind of lame, you always know the lamest aspect is the male love interest because they have to play the princess in the tower. And it's just an always an awkward, uncomfortable situation. This guy, they turn into a running joke. He just keeps getting knocked out <laughs> and out of commission and just spends most of the movie either in a drug days or unconscious literally he is something to fight over he is as objectified as women i guess typically are in male power fantasies so in that way this movie is progressive i suppose but i disagree in that they do have some strong male supporting i think that there is a nice balance between faye dunaway's selena and peter cook as nigel i mean when this movie starts off nigel is the superior he's the experienced warlock who is selena's boyfriend and tutor and as soon as selena finds the omega hedron she dumps his ass but there's still that combativeness throughout this film i like nigel as a foil to selena far better than i like supergirl as a foil to selena i mean i don't get why he has to be a math teacher at the school that confused the hell out of me because it never plays into anything ever but i like that there's this more experienced magic user out there I think the Nigel-Selena relationship works very well in a female-dominant way, but where there's a struggle, you don't have to turn him into Ethan. I mean, even Benjamin Bratt's looking at poor Hart Bochner and going, dude, you got screwed. <laughs> this is the Benjamin Bratt role. This is the Goran Vizhnik role. This is that lame guy that you just never want to be in a movie. And I feel bad for him. It really is lame. I don't know if this is an omen or not for Man of Steel, but doesn't he kind of look like Zack Snyder? <laughs> <laughs> I, for a second, I was like, is that Zack Schneider? Is that how he got involved with the property? I don't know. But uh, I hope it turns out better for Zack than it does for Hart. Because he's just got to spend most of this movie wandering around. I mean, the big action scene. The save Lois from the helicopter scene. It happens at the exact same moment that in part one, Lois was put in danger and first saved by Superman. Well, they do it again here. Only it's this crazy construction steam shovel out of control 
comedy with Popeye's placements <laughs> everywhere. Just, it's crazy that this is the big moment. We've been waiting an hour for something to happen. That macho action thing to happen. They must do. They try to appease us with rapists, but we're finally here with the action moment, and it's this? Whoa. Whoa. And again, I'm offended that this is what they think of Middle Illinois. All we have are Earth Movers and Bays of Hail. It did look a bit like East Houston, Idaho. <laughs> oh, Planet Houston. Where is Terrence Stamp when you need him? They should have got him in in all of this. I would have enjoyed this so much more. I don't think that he could have saved this one. No, no. Even with all the eye rolling that he got away with in that part two and made some of those bad jokes funny, I don't think he could have saved this scene. This scene is a disaster, but I'm kind of loving it now. I must confess, I'm still enjoying this movie because it's tipping over that bubble into funny bad. I mean, this is silly. The man drank drug slits, is now walking down the street drunk. Whoever he sees next is going to be the person he falls in love with forever? No, for one day. As long as the spider is trapped in the nutshell. Or one day, whichever comes first. (laughs) Here's the the crazy thing you left out, Stuart. When he gets drugged, he's in an abandoned carnival that he has to escape. This abandoned (laughs) carnival is where the witch lives. Of course the witch is going to live in the fun house with her friend. Is this like a prequel to AbFab or something? Like, these chicks should get their own show. They, like, are their own movie going on. This witch comedy in the carnival. What the hell is this? Bianca is the only one who knows what movie she's in. I love Bianca in this. I don't know Brenda Vaccaro, but she has the best sitcom supporting role ever. Yeah, she's a Broadway star more than anything, and it hasn't always been comedian, but yeah, you're right. She gets it more than Faye does. Poor Faye, man. She just is still trapped playing Mommy Dearest. With Bianca and Selena, these older women, and man, 40 in the 80s look pretty rough. You look at people in their 40s today, <laughs> still hot. 40 in the 80s, that took a toll on you. But you got these older women running around trying to get these younger guys. I'm like, I'm watching the Golden Girls. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is such a strange movie by this point. Or Cougar Town. I mean, really? Yes. A little factoid. <laughs> Faye Dunaway actually was recently in a movie called Cougar Club, and I've seen it. (laughs) Hey, I saw her picture, and at 70, she looks way hotter than she did at 40. Yeah, Faye Dunaway in this is very, very over the top. Now, I'll tell you, people have asked her to sign Supergirl DVDs. She disavows any knowledge of this movie. (laughs) She refuses to admit she was a part of it, even though here she is. She's above the title, but I don't know what you're talking about. Well, that's one way to play it. I wouldn't be too proud of it either. It is what it is, but it's a silly part. But we saw with Terrence Stamp, there's a way to rise above, to take the worst jokes and with the right stance, still have some menace. Faye never, ever, ever works as a villain. She doesn't work as a comedian either. I agree with you. She doesn't know what movie she's in. They should have just fired her and had Bianca do it. Or just make Nigel the villain. Why not have a male villain? If it's a supergirl trying to triumph over oppression, why have it be another woman? Why not have it be her school teacher? I think that would have been more satisfying than going this witch route. I agree with you completely, and that was something I was thinking when I was watching this for the second time. <laughs> it's 
that it would have been better to have an all-powerful male villain. By going woman against woman or woman against girl, yes, you do get some archetypes going on here. And the director said he was trying to go for Wizard of Oz. So I think they were going for Wicked Witch and the Wizard and all of that. But what I was seeing here was that I thought Faye was the straight woman and Bianca and Nigel were the funny ones around her. And that's kind of how Zod did it. Zod did give a couple eye rolls, but she is just so over the top here. And she's not aided by the script at all, though. She finds the Omega Hedron and she's like, immediately, power of shadow, grant this one eternal life. Is she now immortal? I'm very confused. We're never going to bring it up again. Every so often, they do write her a joke. Now, that should have been handed to somebody else on the set. Or maybe they were somebody else's lines and phase like, no, I must be funny too. But when she's casting the spell and uses improper grammar... Yeah, vicious dark star, get here wherever she are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wrote it down, it was so bad, yes. Yeah, those should have gone to Bianca. Those are Bianca lines. But mostly, Faye is the straight woman who's supposed to bring menace. And she's really fleshed out in that 140-minute cut. Oh, Bianca's fleshed out in any cut. I'm sorry, Bianca's fleshy. <laughs> no, Selena and her story, like that whole party she has there, she's rousting up a coven. And then afterwards, it's in the 140-minute cut, it's mentioned they only got four members because of the scene Nigel made. And they think that Selena's trying too hard. The comedy is dumb, but is it dumber than Superman 3? I mean, had I not just watched Superman 3, I might say that this is a huge drop in the franchise. Uh-uh. This is about the same. They don't have Richard Pryor, and I get you that. That man is a comic genius. He can make not funny material better than anybody here can. But the joke writing is not any worse than Superman 3. Well, I don't think Pryor had any jokes written for him. I think he would just riff. Didn't you say that, Arnie? He just yeah. kind of improved every line. And that's what made the humor there work. It was Pryor. Here, they were relying on someone else writing jokes, which isn't working. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's calamity of failures. The writer wasn't funny. The people weren't funny. The director has no sense of humor. I mean, did you see Draws 2? And yet, they're trying to make a comedy? (laughs) It's not a good choice. But... As this goes on, the humor does fade away. It just keeps getting worse after this whole Earth Mover scene because, of course, the first person that Ethan sees is Linda. And so he's immediately in love with the alter ego of Supergirl so that Selena's doubly pissed at the same person but doesn't realize it. And so he's going to start romancing her and quoting Shakespeare. I'm surprised the gardener knows Shakespeare. Oh, come on. This is kind of funny. If they're going to go this route, and they've already told us that they're going this route, this is a dumb, silly romance film, then the fact that, yeah, this uneducated gardener is now composing sonnets for this woman and following her around while she's trying to get the damn ball, which she should have been doing all this time, but hasn't, I'm more or less on board with it. It's dopey, but it is what it is. I don't get why Selena's so fixated on that gardener. I realize they're in Midville. They're not that far from (laughs) Chicago. She could have gone up there with her power of shadow. Find me someone else. 
<laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. To destroy an entire town and bring that level of scrutiny upon herself for Zack Snyder is a little weird. I give you that. There's probably 20 dudes that will pop out a cake that look better than this, but she likes what she likes. And I think this whole second act really becomes a contest about who's going to wind up with him. It's a very sexist notion that if women are in control, they just won't fight over the men. I think this was a poor choice, again, of setting up a Supergirl adventure, having it all be about who she's going to be in love with and who's going to get the guy. But I will say this. The one thing that's kind of progressive about this romance is the super idealized blonde is not the one that Ethan falls in love with. I don't know whether it's the spell or whether he ultimately comes to realize he likes the brainy brunette. Okay, she's a child and (laughs) it's still illegal, but he likes the brainy brunette. That is something I liked. I liked that. But I saw it just as the inverse of Superman and Lois and what they just tried to do the year before with Lana Lang, another double L. So I didn't see it as that progressive. I did like that. I didn't get it. I also didn't know why as soon as he saw Linda... Why didn't Selena just let the spider out of the shell and go, well, that sucked, have to try again, (laughs) instead of letting him go on wooing her? When she yells, I'm the ultimate siren of Endor, I'm like, really? Nub, nub, chubba, wub, 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 love. Like, you want to make Return of the Jedi worse? Digitize Faye into it. It might have actually improved those ABC Ewok TV movies, though. She's got the feet for it. I don't get some of her expressions, too. Damn her eyes. Okay. No, that's an old person saying. There's a Johnny Cash song called that. I don't know what it means. <laughs> I just know old people say it. So, Arnie, you've watched all these multiple cuts. You've done all this background research. Did they just straight up run out of money at the end here? Because we don't even see the bad guys now. Now, Selena sends an invisible monster. No, I think that was supposed to be different. <laughs> It was different. She calls upon the power of shadow to send a dark star. I'm expecting something truly bad. No, it's an invisible dragon that's crushing things like Godzilla. You know what? But I love Godzilla, and I kind of love this. Honestly, it's kind of fun to watch it destroy the tennis court and, like, knock over a pole. I mean, it's flimsy. You're right. This is a pathetic fight. It's bad. But it's funny. I enjoy that this is the big conflict. This is the best that Faye can do. Faye is ready to take out a wimp, a self-described schoolgirl wimp that she feels is a threat because the gardener that she drugged fell for her. So she's going to conjure this demon, is going to destroy the entire school playground and Supergirl's gonna magically appear and Faye will never recognize it's the same person. Here's the thing. Selena has a magic mirror, like the evil witch on Snow White. She could see everything that happens, but she never sees Linda change into Supergirl. This is where it's just dumb. In the 140 minute cut. Oh, great. (laughs) She almost (laughs) figures it out. She starts down that path. (laughs) Almost. Yeah. It took an extra 25 minutes for her to almost figure it out. It's over a half an hour longer than the American theatrical. Then she almost gets there. Well, they almost have a love scene, too, where Supergirl is flying the wounded Ethan in a football-shaped bumper car through space. Yes, after confronting Selena at the abandoned carnival. (laughs) I'm starting to sing in my head. Can you read a script? (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, my God, who thought this would have the same impact that she's flying around with a bumper car? But they do it. You know what? I get it. This movie is a joke. Come on. This is funny, right? This is Catwoman funny. I'm laughing. You guys can hate on it all you want. I think this is funny stuff. Well, I'm glad you've given me permission to hate on it all I want, because I will. I will continue. <laughs> I would not enjoy watching this three different ways at increasing lengths, but I do think that coming after a movie that tried to be so funny and wasn't, seeing this kind of shambling, pathetic, easy to pick on fish in a barrel here. I mean, this is a real stupid movie. Yeah, it's like picking on Kara in Argo City. It's just too easy a target. <laughs> it is too easy, but unlike some of these where I'm bored silly or my brain is melting through my head, I'm smiling. I think that that's a victory, even when the coconut comes down and knocks Ethan out again. I will admit, I laugh at this movie several times, but never more than when Peter O'Toole is on the screen, because we do get him back. The one thing I remembered about this movie, the one thing I was happy for, was that this film explores more of the Superman mythology by taking us in the Phantom Zone. It's Selena's one victory this whole movie, is she finally finds a spell that will get rid of her problem, Supergirl, by doing to her what was done to Zod way back in Superman 1 one and we'd been scared of the phantom zone it took a nuclear explosion to get zod and his guys out so what is worse than seeing your quote-unquote heroine go to the phantom zone and being able to see what the phantom zone is when i find out it's an underfunded backlot i become more disappointed but it's a great concept yeah, all things considered, Zoltar didn't get it so bad. Everyone else is dying, and he's got to live in a cave. Phantom yeah. Zone, not as bad as we were led to believe. <laughs> I'm sorry, he's still got a drink in his hand. Does it matter where you are when you're just squirting intoxicants into your face all day long? I mean, whatever. Artie, is there some explanation for this? Like, he makes this big deal. I thought it was maybe mouthwash, because your breath stinks there. You don't have toothbrushes. They spray this liquid, and he's, like, forcing her. You gotta spray. You gotta spray it. You gotta spray it. Huh? I don't understand any of this. I think it's just a drug, an addiction, and alcohol. <laughs> I do have a question, though, Stuart. You just implied it, and it's my suspicion. Was Peter O'Toole a drunk around this period? Peter O'Toole has presented himself as a man with a large appetite for beverages that are alcoholic <laughs> for decades okay. and i don't know him personally but i do believe that this was yes maybe how they got him to agree to be in this movie in the first place shot shot here's a contract peter shot because i just think even in the opening scenes zip zap i'm gone he comes across as a drunkard and then when you get him here and you play him as a drunkard i wonder if it's just he came in so intoxicated they're like we need to explain it away here's a bottle just say squirt. He had had a sort of career comeback just a few years prior with My Favorite Year. I don't know if you ever saw that movie, but I remember enjoying it. I haven't seen it in decades, but he was a star of the stage and screen who was a massive lush and was always walking in and saying inappropriate things. He was an Arthur riffoff, okay? That's what it was. But yeah, he was basically like the Arthur character, and I think it just was his persona throughout the 80s, the 70s the 90s. He just was that guy. So I don't think that even if he wasn't, he could have been teetotaling. He could have been in program and appeared on the set ready to work and do whatever. I think it would have felt weird not to see Peter O'Toole drunk in a movie in the early 80s. It's just kind of what he did. 
You know what the Phantom Zone really reminds me of, though? Did you guys ever see Barbarella? The Jane Fonda sci-fi? There's just a really creepy, pervy atmosphere to that movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's kind of like a Bacchanal orgy vibe. Just It's real sleazy. I don't know how to describe it, but I saw it a lot when it was on cable when I was a kid, and it always frightened me. And I'm getting a real Barbarella from this exchange here in the Phantom Zone. I'm just disappointed because not only is the Phantom Zone not this horrible, torturous place. I mean, it seems to have some bad weather. It also seems horribly underpopulated. Peter O'Toole does drop a line, I don't know if this is in all the cuts, that all the bad people are over the hill. <laughs> but where Kara and he are... Yeah, aren't they always? I think anywhere, that's true. But yes, I agree. They don't seem to be in any kind of pain or threat of danger or pain. It seems unpleasant. You'll grant the movie that. It looks like a really unpleasant place to be, sipping on the squirt as you shamble around these ruins. But I never thought the Phantom Zone was a destination. I thought when they smashed it in between the plates of glass, I thought you were there. I thought floating around, flipping in space under press glass was bad enough. I'd actually think that would be worse than, meh, maybe not. Eternity with Peter O'Toole, meh. It does seem weird that Zod and the other two, they just stuck their noses to the glass the whole time when they were spinning around. They never, like, stepped back and explored a bit. And here's where I really think that the script could have done a little bit better, is if you have... A little bit, Arnie? (laughs) There's a lot of room to do better. If you have Supergirl in the Phantom Zone, getting her out. Yes, I realize that this is in some pseudo way a hero's journey and she needs to rescue herself. But the only way to get Zod out was with a nuclear explosion. I would have liked to have seen somebody help her the same way Miss Testmacher helped Superman when Kryptonite was around his neck. Maybe Nigel gets tired of being pissed upon and decides that he's going to get Selina back and release a Supergirl. And I mean, he is basically the Testmacher of this. It is an entirely gender-reversed bad guy trio, right? Sure, I get that. So why don't we have that? Instead, having Zoltar go, oh, by the way, this whole Phantom Zone where we've trapped people for millennia, yeah, we can walk out. Go Sure. Well, they have to do some climbing uh, without ropes. <laughs> and there's a tornado. There's a tornado that kills Peter O'Toole. But meanwhile, back on Earth, Selina is watching all of this in her magic mirror. She's conjuring spells, but the tornado is there before she conjures the spell. So I really think she's not doing anything, right? (laughs) She threw a fireball down the hall. It can be attributed to her. Take credit for it, even if you don't do it. You know, that's, I think, what she's doing here. And the dialogue is making no sense, and I don't know who to blame. Is this the script where there's scenes cut? I hear that there's perhaps 20 more minutes of footage existing somewhere that maybe someday there will be a three-hour cut of this. But she's climbing up, Zoltar's right behind her, and she stops and says... Come with me! He's right behind you. And he's like, I am with you. What the... I do not understand. Oh, come on. Don't play ignorance. This is goodbye, Obi-Wan. They gotta kill the father figure. He's there to give her some sagely advice. Now he's gotta die so that she can feel empowered to be the hero that we all need her to be. I mean, this is a Star Wars rip. Well, that becomes apparent at the end, but here, I'm just confused. I just don't understand why he had to die. He will always be with her. That breath will probably always be in those clothes. (laughs) You won't ever get that stench out. Yeah, but we don't even know where the clothes came from. So, I was so excited 
watching it for this retrospective, even when I was watching the rest of the movie, I was so excited for this Phantom Zone. And what we get, yeah, it is the proof that sometimes it's best to leave mysterious things mysterious. It's going to be something unlike anything you could ever imagine. The worst thing imaginable. Okay, the audience is now imagining it. Don't show it to us, because when you try, it's going to just go downhill. And when you have dialogue like, I will never spend my entire life in a place like this. I will die first. If you die, haven't well, you spent your, your whole life, life in a place like this? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I could jump in here and pile it on, but it speaks for itself. I mean, this movie is what it is. I do like the fact that we get a big dragon at the end. Here's the crazy thing. Before we get the dragon, Selena moves out of the abandoned carnival. And just straight up puts a mountain in the middle of Midvale with a castle on top. And I love that she's rounding up with her secret police, all the people in Midvale that won't worship her. And like Jimmy Olsen and Lucy, they just got protest signs. Do you think people did that with Hitler and Hugo Chavez and other (laughs) dictators? They just painted up protest signs. Did Hugo Chavez put a giant mountain in the middle of their town? They probably destroyed Popeye's. This woman is evil. She has got to be stopped. Well, what happened is, I mean, it just happens in a brief moment, but she couldn't do this with just the ball, right? She needs a wand as well. The power comes from a stick and brass balls. They make that explicit. It was true in Argo City. It's true here on Earth or wherever this is happening. She grabs this witch doctor stick from Nigel. She goes so far as to kiss him so that she can take away his power stick. It's his power stick married with her ball that can now create this fortress. I don't think it was possible before then. She has unlimited power. She can literally create whatever she wants. And so we can only presume that she wants to live at the top of a mountain in Midvale with Zack Snyder. (laughs) Zack Snyder's gonna get pissed. I would be too. I'd take the Phantom Zone with Peter O'Toole before I end up with this fate. You think the Phantom Zone's bad? Jesus. But dragons, come on, every movie is better with a giant dragon at the end. And this is the only thing ever knew about this movie. I can say I flipped through channels one time. It was on TV. I remember seeing this dragon before, and it's radical. I think it's awesome. The thing that freaked me out is I saw this dragon, and I immediately had a weird flashback to a movie I don't think a whole lot of, but The Dark Crystal. And then I look up on IMDb after I'm done, the same freaking writer. (laughs) Oh, wow. They must have brought in some of the effects people. There's a visual quality to both Argo City and this dragon at the end. I think these effects can be kind of cool. I think this is a cool effect. I'm not saying it looks photorealistic. I'm saying that it looks kind of badass in its cheesy-ass way. (laughs) I don't know. Was this dragon supposed to be just a hologram or something? Like, it almost looks like you could see through it. I don't even know if there's a real dragon there. I think Faye kept her brass ball in this witch container, like an all-purpose whatever, and it grows as the ball amasses more power. It actually grows boobs at some point. But I think that the little skull and crossbones that was on that container in the beginning is what this creature is. It may indeed not be a dragon. It may just be some kind of sorcery, whatever you want to call it, beastie that someone sculpted into a little ornament and has now taken a life of its own. It may be the ball itself. How I read this scene is because Faye Dunaway is there moving her hands, that this is basically like a large puppet, and whatever motions Faye makes, the dragon does. So Faye is moving her hands and twisting and ripping motions as the dragon is twisting and ripping Supergirl. 
you still digging these effects, Stuart? Or Supergirl is being badly stretched <laughs> and twisted? Like, this looks awful. Come on! It looks like a funhouse mirror. It's not any worse than that supercomputer effects of the last one. I mean, come on. I always think that there's a charm to practical puppetry effects. I think that there's something kind of funny about it. That's fine if you like practical puppetry, but what they do here is realize that the practical puppetry looks bad, so they stretch the negative. Yeah, it's a photo trick that they're doing here to the image of Helen Slater that makes her pretend to be stretched. Yeah, I agree. That's what it is. And then Obi-Wan tells her that she can do it, and so she decides, I've had enough of this shit, and uh, I'm going to throw these two old hags out. I don't know where they're going, but then again, I don't even know where I'm at. They're going to go to the inner zone or somewhere zone. They're going to Popeye's. Somewhere where no one will ever see them again. Yeah, she has a tornado. I feel bad for poor Bianca. Bianca never did a damn thing except start a coven. And <laughs> she rode a train at one point. I, yeah, I feel like her abetting of this crime is very minimal. And yet she gets banished off and Nigel escapes. Hell, in the extended cut, he picks up the little steel dragon and runs off with it. And you remember the little ditzy girl, the one who's like, I want to be rich and famous at the party. He hooks up with her. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a double standard. The male characters get it easy. Well, maybe not Hart Bachner, but they're willing to give Nigel a break. I'm not sure I am. Then again, Miss Tessmacher wasn't taken to jail either. And finally, Supergirl has her ball, so she'll go home. I've got a question for you. Okay, so she's saying goodbye to everyone, and Jimmy and Lucy are too busy kissing to even care. She's like, uh, don't tell anyone. No one ever cared about your alternate identity but you. Go away. She flies. She goes under the earth. This is the surprising moment where I realize, oh, well, this wasn't an outer space planet that she's rescuing here. No, it's in Lake Midville. What? Is there any cut of this film where we see her restore or do anything? I mean... No. Come on, you didn't see the lights turn back on when she got closer to it? I didn't notice that. Is that what happens? Hey, you have to watch the whole end credits. Most of the end credits are of Argo City, and it does get a little brighter. I don't know that the lights turn back on necessarily. I guess they kind of do, but... I guess because it would just be such a shaming moment after that. It's not like triumphant you saved us. It would be like Mia Farrow bending her over her <laughs> leg and spanking her, stripping her of her outfit, grounding her for forever. No more dragon flies. It would have been a really ugly scene, I imagine, going on inside Argo City if Mia should live. Be afraid of Mia's rage. We know nothing else from the Sunni <laughs> Woody Allen fallout. Mia is no one to be messed with. I just hope Supergirl was smart enough to not fly through the wall and puncture it again <laughs> when she returned. She seems to have gotten smarter on Earth because she could suddenly do math for reasons unexplained. And apparently in this last 20 minutes of hidden footage, it explains why she became quote unquote smart on Earth. Not that Helen Slater played her any differently. It explains how she got smarter? Yeah, apparently, but not in any of the cuts I saw. So Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Supergirl? Jacob. There are things that I do like about this film. I think there is a certain charm to it. I think Stewart's pointed out. I like 
the high school stuff. There is something like Sweet Valley High about it that I kind of enjoy. But taking this film as a whole, I don't want to sit through this thing again. This film, I challenge anyone to make sense of this. You know, at least with something like The Wizard of Oz, you know, it's a dream. So you could have some weird stuff going on. I don't know. Maybe this is a dream. Maybe this isn't our Earth. Maybe Kara is dying out in space and this is a hallucination she has as her spaceship powers down and she dies looking for their Omega Hedron. But uh, there's just the overall production is just poor looking. It's bad looking acting. Nope. Not really there either. Storytelling. Nope. Things just happen because that's what we need to do to get to the next scene. Humor falls flat. There's just not a lot of positive things. There's a few. I'm willing to recognize those. But overall, I don't think this is so bad. It's good territory for me. So I'm going to give this a not recommend. Stuart. I think the movie benefits a little from low expectations. I really did come into this. I had made a prediction. This was going to be the bottom of the heat. I'm like, steel, it doesn't matter. This will be Superman 4. I've heard that's a drudgery. But this is going to be it. This is going to be the absolute worst. You know what? They tried. They really really tried. And with their meager budget, they tried to cobble together something that was different. And I think it's better than Superman 3. I can go that far. It's a lot more entertaining than Superman. Superman 3. Superman 3, to me, was a dreary slog that was just so unpleasant to sit through. And this may be the best She-Ra episode ever. Forget Superman. Compare about the other comic book movies going on at the time. I dare say this is not any worse than Flash Gordon. It's probably not worse than Popeye. This is a bad film, but you know what? I'm going to weakly recommend it, because if I gave Catwoman a pass, and we all gave Catwoman a pass, how can I not claim equal entertainment to this silliness. I mean, this is a very bad movie that I take guilty pleasure in watching once. I don't think I'd watch it again, but, you know, just watch it once. I so disagree. In our very first Superman podcast, Stuart, you pointed out, DC does it first. First superhero at all. First superhero in serial form. First superhero on the big screen. And first superhero to flop miserably, beating Howard the Duck by two years, Supergirl. I have to really think, is this the worst superhero movie of all time? (laughs) Really? The very worst? And... We had this conversation with Jonah Hex. Yes, we did. And we declared Man-Thing to be pretty much our reigning champion of shit. It's still the number one worst one, yes, for me. For me, this... Oh, is this worse than Man-Thing? Come on! I'm I'm, I'm really... Man-Thing had a titty shot, so that's a plus. Think about it long and hard. Wash it down with some A&W root beer. You know it's not true. I... I definitely, <laughs> I definitely think that Squirt was a product placement. <laughs> I also definitely think that this will be our worst Superman film in this series. I think Steel will be better. I truthfully Ooh, do. Wow. Then I might recommend Steel. Wow. <laughs> I, no, because if it's better, then for you it's worse. You're in the That's negative true. zone of Argo City. Yes. Up is down, good is bad, yes, and Supergirl is a recommend. Yeah, you're Bizarro Stewart is who you are here. (laughs) But 
I really am thinking, is this worse than Man-Thing? And I've got to say, if you want to look at things to laugh at, Man-Thing had nothing, and this does have Peter O'Toole and a couple of bad lines of dialogue. And I suppose on my first watching of the shortest cut, I had some moments of, oh my god, I can't believe this, and smiled. So it's getting a brief reprieve from worst superhero movie ever, but it's a strong, strong, strong not recommend. And if you must, if you must see it, if you have to, spend the four bucks and break out the VCR. Because (laughs) every minute you spend not watching this is a minute more you will have in your life. Just briefly, what are the things missing from that earliest cut? What was the treats that I experienced in the 20 added minutes? Well, the entire aerial ballet of her flying at the beginning was cut. A lot of her flying was cut. It was, although a little long, but (laughs) yes, I would have cut a little, but not all of it. It's shortened a lot. There's nothing really that any of these cuts have that you don't see the rest of in the others. I kept watching the longer and longer cut, hoping one of them would someday explain to me what the hell I'm watching. None of them do. You get more Lucy Jimmy romance. You get more Nigel Selena bickering. You get more Supergirl flying. You get more of the bully. The bully was cut almost entirely from the shortest cut. So if you like the 100-minute cut you'll love the two hour cut but if you hate the two hour cut and i do the 100 minute cut is 20 minutes short mercifully okay so the only way to pick a version is the how long you want to watch it if you want to watch a movie for two and a half hours get the director's cut and if you want to get through it and pass through this as quickly as possible like a kidney stone i would say (laughs) then all right splurge for that vcr and dig up this theatrical cut that's not available on dvd formats okay I'd say the $4 VHS and a VHS player at a pawn shop is still cheaper than this director's cut DVD is going at Amazon, too. I'm not really claiming that this was a great experience or that people would love it. I get your point. It's definitely skippable. It's not a real Superman movie. We're going to get that, I guess, with the one Christopher Reeve movie I don't think I've ever seen. I don't know Superman for Quest for Peace, and I'm not sure I want to, but I'm going to. I could be happily surprised. I just recommended Supergirl. We'll see. Maybe it'll go the right way. It's shorter. That's what I'm looking forward to. (laughs) I wanted an easy week after all the cuts of Superman and Superman 2 and all the commentaries and all the makings up. I will say this. If you're a super, super fan, if you go to the Superman Festival in Metropolis, if you have that box set and proudly display Superman and the Mole Men as one of the movies and you don't own this $90 director's cut edition of Supergirl, you're not complete because this has the full frickin' treatment that they give all of the Superman movies. Two cuts, just like Superman 1 and Superman 2. Director's commentary, even the one-hour-long TV making of. If you don't have this limited edition, you're not complete. Sounds like someone's (laughs) trying to sell theirs. Yeah, exactly. Talk to you after the show on eBay, right? Gotcha. (laughs) And since we're talking about selling things... I guess we could bring up the fact that we have a donation drive going on. 
Yes, that's right. As you've heard, if you've been listening to our podcast, our donation drive to keep the show going and keep paying for our servers and our bandwidth is continuing with one of my favorite movies we're doing in this entire donation drive, Return of the Living Dead 3. Yeah, you've heard me right. One of my favorite movies, Return of the Living Dead 3. You want to know why this is one of my favorite movies? You have to donate $25 or more to Now Playing. You can go to the homepage, nowplayingpodcast.com, click the banner at the top, and you'll see that for a $25 or more donation, you get reviews of all five Return of the Living Dead films, plus 28 days later, 28 weeks later, and all the Evil Dead films, and later this summer... World War Z. And if $25 is a little bit high for you, if you can do 10 or more, well, you don't hear Return of the Living Dead, you don't hear 28 Days Weeks Later, but you will still get all five of the other zombie films, Evil Dead and World War Z. Yeah, those are some good shows. I'm really enjoying the zombie stuff. I hope you guys can find the money and join us because it's been a good run right now. I'm not saying all the movies were good, most of them, but it really is a lot of fun to put a button on it and working our way to summer and World War Z. And if you wanted to hear our previous zombie podcast, we do have a very small number of DVD ROMs available. Our fifth anniversary, we're down to the last few. So please email us before donating for it. Email show at nowplayingpodcast.com. See if we have any left. And all the details on that DVD ROM are found at nowplayingpodcast.com in the donate section. So, Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. I know we just had a week off Superman last week with Iron Man, but after this, I need another week off. Let's do Star Trek next week. Yeah, that's right. It's out this Friday, and I think it's time to beam Brock aboard and revisit that series, the J.J. Abrams. And you know what? I'll promise to go back. I know it's a contentious review of mine that I was the one that gave it a not recommend. I'll watch the original. Let's cover it next week. So until then, up, up, and away! I have to leave. I knew this time would come. We both knew it from the day we found you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. The virtual spirit has no need for thanks or approval. Only the certain conviction that what has been done is right. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Superman movie, leading up to this summer's Man of Steel. Again, again! Superman's bad. He was bad. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can hear reviews of comic book movies such as all the Batman films, Green Lantern, Catwoman, the Marvel Avengers films, and many more. We've come a long way since the old neighborhood. You can also hear our reviews of non-comic-based films, including Star Trek, Predator, James Bond, Rambo, Rocky, and more. I never thought this thing would go the distance. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Uh, This is a very special place for me. I wanted you to see it. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this review with other listeners. Let's go to my place. Maybe I should change this. You can also follow Now Playing at Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. Why am I not reading it? 
The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Superman will be there on Wednesday, all right? The city of Metropolis is generous to a fault. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Don't tell me. He sends a check every week to his sweet gray-haired old mother. Actually, she's silver-haired. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Now come on, lady, hand it over. Say Jim Bones! That's a bad outfit! You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties. Do you like pink? Coffee mugs, t-shirts, totes, boxers, teddy bears, and much more. They have a wide selection. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. What What more could anyone ask? A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Now we're cooking, huh? Now Playing's Superman Retrospective Series is edited by Ray, Bill, Dylan, Jeff, and Arnie. Your suffering will be short. Mine, forever. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. I do okay or what? I'm relaxed. Now Playing is not affiliated with Warner Brothers Pictures. Superman is the property of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Pictures, and no infringement is intended. The dude of steel. <laughs> Where are you gonna get it? The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Why do you say this to me? When you know I will kill you for it. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced repurposed or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Well, I guess I'd better be going too. So I'll be going. Bye. See you later. And destroy her wherever she are. Oh God, that's awful. But by day, she pretends to be Linda Lee, a student at a Midvale, Illinois college. It doesn't look like a college town, but we'll talk about it. Are you sure it's a college? I didn't get it was a college. I thought it was a high school. It's called Midvale. It had an H. Maybe it is a high school. Yeah, yeah, it is a high school. I wouldn't say college. You're only presuming it's college because it's so inappropriate what Jimmy is doing. (laughs) Okay. And destroy her wherever she. Are. Oh, God, that's awful. Going to war with aliens, man, that would have been a whole lot better than prior in a computer. computer. Maybe we'll get that next week with Superman 4. We won't. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. I know we won't. I was just... And destroy her wherever she are. Oh, God, that's awful. Oh, she made City Slickers what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Crystal was asking for Was there for a tips. woman in City Slickers? I don't even remember that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> And destroy her wherever she are. Oh, God, that's awful. I would hope that their first date wasn't at Popeye. <laughs> I just, yeah, that's good. Come on, that's 
wants to go. If you want to take that relationship <laughs> up to the next level, it's all yeah, exactly. I'm just water when you're trying to lick those <laughs> greasy fingers. That's some greasy chicken. I am here to tell you some greasy, unflattering date right there. I got to tell you, a bad night, folks at home. No official Popeyes. Maybe it's delicious. It is tasty. Not the first date. It's the fourth date at the very earliest. <laughs> you were. I was drinking when you said that, and you made water come up my nose. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. But... And destroy her wherever she are. Oh, God, that's awful. I've seen her feet in real life, and they look like talons of a vulture. (laughs) I literally thought she was going to fly over and rip my heart out. Why were you seeing her feet? Because I was at Cannes, and she walked into the tent and demanded a coffee from me. (laughs) Who was I? Was I a barista? No, I was a man standing in the tent. I'm Faye Dunaway. Get me a coffee. (laughs) With them feet, I'll get you some shears. Let's start there with a nail file. (laughs) Why did she not have shoes? (laughs) I think there might have been sandals, but the talons grew over them so much you couldn't see the straps. It was horrifying. Harpies? Isn't that what it's called? <laughs> Is it called harpies? When it's like a woman body with a vulture, like, legs, feet, whatever you want to call it. Woo! <laughs> Craziest blooper ever. <laughs> That's the blooper that's going to never get me work again. <laughs> at least not at Starbucks. Yeah, at least not for Faye Dunaway, which I don't think I could have handled anyway. Everyone in this town's got a Faye Dunaway story, I'm here to tell you. People got funny ones. <laughs> what she needs is a manicurist. Yeah, she's crazy. She's crazy. And destroy her wherever she are. Oh, God, that's awful. As the dragon is twisting and ripping Super Earl. Super Earl? <laughs> it said Super Girl. <laughs> it was just with a soft G. Oh, okay. And destroy her wherever she are. Oh, God, that's awful. So until then, up, up, and away! Or down, down into hell. <laughs> or the water, inner space. <laughs> yes, I believe that's where it's going. Zip, zap, we're gone. <laughs> If only you had seen this before having to come up with a tagline. (laughs) No kidding. Although everyone would be like, what the hell is he talking about? Yeah, I wouldn't know what you're talking about. And destroy her wherever she are. Oh, God, that's awful.